You may be seated, of course. As you're sitting down, I want to invite you to open your Bibles. I hope you have, they, you have them with you this morning and open them to the Gospel of Mark, the very beginning of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark is one of those Gospels. It's the shortest Gospel. It's one of those Gospels that uh, uh, he wastes no time in jumping in. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't go back and forth or, or, or share uh, lots of information before Jesus. He starts talking about Jesus. He just jumps right in. In fact, verse 1 says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And I want to just uh, reinforce, uh, this is true for us every Sunday when we get together, but uh, it's true today, especially in a day that we're going to celebrate a baptism of Jonas, that uh, this service and this body, the gathering thereof and everything we're here, is, is, is all here to point to Jesus Christ. And, and I want it to be true about my preaching, I want it to be true about your worship time, I want it to be, want it to be true about our lives is that they point to Jesus, and, and Mark just starts his gospel off that way. He says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was the Son of God. He goes on to, I'm not going to read word for word, but he goes on to say, uh, he, he reaches back in the Old Testament and says, uh, there was written by Isaiah, there's this man who's going to come and prepare the way. And in verse 4, he says, John appeared. John was that man. He appeared and he was baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we're here today and it's, we're going to have a baptism. Jonas, we're going to baptize you, Lord willing, at the end of the service. Now, as you know, often when I do things like this, I, I tend to look at you a lot because I'm preaching. I'm talking uh, this message. I'm, I, I prepared it with you in mind. And I don't want that to feel like an intimidation or a condemnation or a restriction or a heaviness. I want it to be an encouragement to you. I've prepared this with you in mind, because I want God to speak to you from his word this morning. Now, you all know that you're going to all be listening, because let's be honest, I can share a specific message for one person, but there's grains of truth, and there's application, and there's necessity for each of you to hear from God's word this morning as to what it has to say to you. There's a, okay, there's a really big chance that something that's necessary for him to hear is also necessary for you to hear this morning. John appeared, he was baptizing. That word baptizing, the Greek word is baptizo, which sounds a lot like the word we use in English. That word means to make uh, whelmed, which is kind of a word we don't use often, but maybe you, we, we understand it or you often use the word overwhelmed, so you can think of that. That is to be more than whelmed, but whelmed is to be, uh, to be covered or to be filled or to be dipped. Actually, the word has the idea, it's an action to be dipped. It comes from the root word, which is uh, whelmed or uh, moistened or stained. There's actually several uses of this. One of the uses that you may not be uh, uh, maybe not be aware of or think of when we think of the word baptized or uh, being baptized or the root behind it is if you think back in the scene in Revelation when Jesus is, is uh, wearing a garment that is dipped in blood, is stained in blood, is baptized in blood. That's what that means actually. That's what that word is. John appeared and he was baptizing. And we're here in a baptism service, so we're going to be talking about baptism today. That's why I call the sermon uh, that I'm preaching today, Baptized. Again, Lord willing, end of the service here, we're going to have one who has experienced baptism. As we read about uh, John going through the country of Judea and Jerusalem and people coming out to him, they were being baptized, they were confessing their sins. It says a little bit about John. And then it starts talking about the message that he proclaimed, which is where I want to be today with this message. 
he proclaimed this message. He says, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John is, after all, the messenger. He's the one who's going to make the way. The, the, he's going to prepare the path for Jesus to come. And then he says these words, which is what I have for my sort of launch point or the verse that I want to use to base my message on this morning. This is what John had to say. He says, I have baptized you with water. That's what he was doing. He was going around. He was by the River Jordan. People were coming to him, and they were getting baptized. I have baptized you with water, but he, the one who's coming after me, the one who's not, he's not worthy to stoop down and tie his sandals, those, he, he, Jesus, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the central point. There'll be lots of little points along the way, probably, but this is the central point that I want to make today with this message for you, Jonas, and for every one of us. We are going to do some baptizing with water. We're going to use water to baptize. But we are in the same position that John was in because we recognize that our baptism is done with water, but there is a greater baptism that's necessary to happen, and that is the baptism with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. Or uh, it, I think we're going to see from Scripture it's by Jesus with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism we're really after. In fact, I would submit to us as a church body this morning that's the baptism that matters. The water one we're doing is actually reflecting what we have said is really the goal, and that is to be in Christ, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to deal with today. What does that look like? What does that mean? What does Scripture have to say about that subject? So if you're here this morning and you have already been baptized with water, then I think the... Um, the natural inclination or the natural result of this message is to assess whether we have received more than just the water baptism. And if you are not baptized today, you have not ever experienced believer's baptism with water, then it is the preparation for you that this is the goal that I can tell you if you have family members here, mom and dad are here, or anybody here who cares about you, that's the goal that they want to get you to, is to see a water baptism that's a pointing to something that's happened inside, something that's going on in here. I have baptized you with water, Mark, or John says in the Gospel of Mark, he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And right on the heels of that, by the way, if you're going to see it happen, you want to see it reflected there, on the heels of that, Mark says, that's exactly what happened. Jesus showed up on the scene. He came in. And we have this little change. I don't know if, how much Mark talks about it, but John says, I'm, you should be baptizing me because he recognized what he just said. And Jesus says, no, this is right. This is how we fulfill Scripture. John uh, baptizes him. And when he does so, he comes up out of the water. It says the heavens open up. And we see exactly what he just talked about take place because the Holy Spirit comes comes down in the form of a dove, and God speaks and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. May I submit to us, by the way, that we should expect and anticipate and desire no less with our baptisms here, is as the water flows and as they come up out of that, that we understand that what we really want is the Holy Spirit descending and God to speak to Jonas this morning is who it is. Jonas, you are my son. I'm pleased with you. I want you to know, Jonas, that that's what God wants to say to you. That's the position you occupy in Christ. 
Now, as we go through the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus lived, and he walked among them, he did many wonderful things, he received lots of opposition, he had many clashes, he taught many things, some were understood, some were not. He went through life, and as his life came to an end, he was treated cruelly, he was despised, he was rejected, he was beaten, he was offended, he was spit upon, he was lied about, he was pierced, he was crushed. He was hung on a cross. He was laid in a tomb. And gloriously, three days later, God brought him back to life brought him out of the tomb, placed that stamp, that seal of approval that said, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. Right? That's exactly what the resurrection is, by the way. It's God saying he is exactly who he's been saying he is this whole time. He is my son sent to accomplish what I've sent him to accomplish. And he did exactly that. And Jesus walked again. And when you go to the book of Acts, this is where Luke is going to pick up the story, but he goes to the book of Acts, and his disciples are interacting with them, and, they're, and they're, they're trying to figure out what God, what Jesus is now going to do, and he says this in Acts 1.5. He says, for John, he looks back at that event that we talked about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And if you continue reading the book of Acts, if you flip there, I'm not going to read all of this chapter to you this morning, but if you continue reading the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 contains that event that Jesus is talking about, pointing them to. So I just want to make sure we're understanding here. Laid all the way in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John comes in and he says, I'm baptizing you with water, but Jesus, the one who's coming, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives, dies, has his ministry, and comes back to life. He visits his disciples again, and they're interacting. He says, now, in not many days from now, is going to come to pass what John was talking about. That John baptized with water, but I, well, he didn't say I in that case, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 2 arrives. It's the day of Pentecost. And as that event happens, you've probably read the chapter as that event happens, we see this incredible, wonderful thing where the Holy Spirit arrives visibly and audibly, and all the people who were gathered there begin to see the results of that Holy Spirit baptism immediately. There's no delay. There's no maybe. It's there. The Holy Spirit has arrived, and people are saying, what is going on? Some people are saying that they're filled with something good. Some people are saying they're filled with something bad. They're drinking wine. They're getting drunk already. And Peter preaches this powerful sermon. He brings some convicting words. All of people says they were cut to the heart when he gets right down to it. He says, this Jesus that you have put to death, he's the son of God. And he's alive now again. And he asks, they ask him, what should we do? And he says, notice this. He says almost the exact same thing that John was doing way back at the beginning, right? He says, you repent and you be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's, I was reading from Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 38, 39. The promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And then keep reading. Because the outcome of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what I want to make sure we understand. And you could read all of chapter 2. Maybe you should read all of Acts chapter 2 when you go home today. 
or sometime this week during your, uh, during your quiet time, your devotional time. I don't want to tell you how to do it or when to do it, but you should do it sometime. Read Acts chapter 2 and read it with this in mind, that what I am reading is the evidence of what happens when the Holy Spirit baptizes me, when I'm, when I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, when I have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's what happens. Now, I summarize them a little bit because I want to keep the message moving, and I want to make sure uh, that we get to where uh, all the scriptures that I think we want it should get to today. But when we see the, in this chapter alone, when we see that the Holy Spirit comes and fills the believers, we see that they're filled with a boldness they did not have before. You see that, right? These were men that were hiding not too long before that. These were men that, even when they were bold before, they were misguided. If you were here in Bible school, if you were the children, you remember the sons of thunder, John and James, and there was this constant back and forth, right? Like, who's going to be the greatest, and, and who's going to sit at the right hand, and who is, who is the, the more impressive of the two? But there's a different kind of boldness that happens when the Holy Spirit fills them. We're going to have to lay them all out before we understand how that boldness fully comes out. I see a boldness that happens I see wisdom that comes when the Holy Spirit fills them, for they know how to answer those people. Think of this. Think of this. These were the disciples that were hiding and did not know how to answer those that were, had opposed Jesus and had hung him on a cross. And now suddenly, when they've seen the resurrected Jesus and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, now suddenly, when all of these people come and some of them are saying, oh, they're just drunk, and what does Peter do? Peter stands up with boldness, but he also stands up with wisdom. He addresses, he addresses them. He looks at them and says, men of Israel, hear this. And he walks right through a sermon that I'm telling you is, is ordained or put together by the Holy Spirit because the end result is they are cut to the heart. They are pierced. They are pricked. They understand exactly what happened and what they did. There's a wisdom that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, you could pick that wisdom up even later on because there's a wonderful section of verses at the very end that I didn't read for you, but verses 42 to 47 of Acts chapter 2 now gives you a picture of what that, that body of Christ was like when the, those first several thousand souls were added, what the body of Christ was like. And you see them interacting with each other. And you see them sharing with each other. And you see them using wisdom as to who gets what and how to divvy things up and, and how, to, how to help each other best. There was wisdom there. Jonas, but not just Jonas, all of us. When the Holy Spirit fills us, there's a boldness that comes with that. There's a wisdom that comes with that in understanding what decisions to make. That's what we need is filled with the Holy Spirit. There is an authority that comes. Now this one, I think, is such an... Well, let me just be, just, just be blunt with you. This one is such a thing that messes us up so many times. We have those who understand or, or who realize or think they realize the authority that comes from the Holy Spirit and they take it and they run with it and they, and they make all kinds of proclamations and statements and they stand in all kinds of things and they demand all kinds of powerful and miraculous things to happen and they demand that no one can counter them because they have the authority of the Holy Spirit inside of them. And it's an abuse because they make all that an internal thing. Then there are those who look at all that and they say, whoa, 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 we can't have that and they go and they pretend like the Holy Spirit has no authority, which is also an abuse of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Do we understand that, church? There are many, many people who misuse and misapply what the Holy Spirit does inside of us. Make no mistake. But that does not excuse us 
from wanting the Holy Spirit to have his power for working inside of us and doing what he does. There is, I'm going to tell you, there is no way to get around reading the book of Acts and recognizing that when the Holy Spirit fills people, there is an authority that rests in them. It's not them. It's not me. It's not my authority at all. But the Holy Spirit, the authority that rests in them. Look at how Peter addresses them and Peter and John in the next couple of chapters. And, and look what happens when Ananias and Sapphira come. And look at, just keep reading the pages. There's an unmistakable authority that comes. Let's just make sure we understand. That's not ours. <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. It's not my authority. I'm a container at best. Paul would write those words, right? I'm a jar of clay. Weak so that the power of God might be put on display in this broken vessel. I see when the Holy Spirit came and filled them that there was incredible commitment. There was commitment to God in the face of people who might be angry at them and might wish to do the same kind of harm to them in the face of the leaders that were, had put Jesus to death that were now not happy with them. But I also see not just a commitment to God, I see a commitment to each other. Again, read the last verses of the chapter. There was a commitment to each other that the believers had that I believe we, can, we should attribute to the Holy Spirit residing in them. That tenacious, I will be faithful to my Savior no matter what. I don't mean this sacrilegiously because I think he gets our first and foremost allegiance, but I feel like sometimes we divorce too much our allegiance to Jesus and our commitment to others who are also Jesus' followers. They were committed to each other. So much so that they were willing to sell things that they owned so that others could have the benefit of it. That's not something we do a whole lot of, is it? If I have some extra, I might share with you. If I think I might not need it now or in the next five years. Rarely do we see us respond to need by saying, hey, I can sell this and actually get something to share with you that I wouldn't have had otherwise. I also see there was great joy among the disciples. Awe came upon people. They were devoted. There was joy. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God. They had favor with the people. There is joy. I hope today, Jonas... That there's joy for you. I hope it's a, it, this is a good day. This is not a, not a, this is not a bad day or, a, or a, a day of I'm not sure. This is a joyful day of saying what Jesus did for me, I can testify to that and I can be filled with his spirit and that brings joy. First and foremost, by the way, that joy comes from knowing we're right with God, right? It knows that my sin is covered before a holy almighty God. And that knowledge brings great joy because I know I could never have done that by myself, ever. And now it's done. Praise God. In all of this, I can summarize all of these words or at least see the outcome of all those words in recognizing that something happened with Jesus' followers when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they became a pointer, if I can use that word. They became a pointer to Jesus. They became a witness of who Jesus was. 
And I would tell you, sure, even those, we're going to read in these pages in Acts, we could read about those that are in the forefront, you know, the Peters and the Johns and the Phillips and those that are in the forefront. But I think in these verses that we would read if we would read the book of Acts is the evidence that it was not just those at the forefront, but it was the entire group that was pointing to Jesus and how they interact with each other in the words that came out of their mouths, how they treated their neighbors, how they changed their own lives probably changed, and how all of these things, the boldness and the wisdom and the authority and the commitment and the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit being inside of us, all of that points not to me, but to Jesus Christ. Jesus said that, by the way, when he talked early on the Sermon on the Mount, he said that we should be like cities on a hill, right? We should be like lamps who are burning and we don't cover them because they point. We should do good deeds. Why? Can anyone finish that verse? Why should we do good deeds? So that, so that they may praise their Father who is in heaven. You guys know this, right? You know this. Let me remind you. If anything that is coming out of us is pointing to us, then we are first and foremost robbing glory from God, but second of all, we are not in the right place. We are not pointing to the right thing or the right person, and we are not being a witness to Jesus, no matter how much we say we're followers of Jesus. We are to be a witness for our Savior. John the Baptist, again, served as this opening doorway. He said, I'm baptizing water. He's going to baptize the Spirit. He said, I'm, the one that's coming after me is greater than I am. He said, I have to decrease. Jesus has to increase. All refrains that should be coming out of our mouths. This was the result of the Holy Spirit working in them. But I want to now just take a little trip, and I see my time is moving on, so I'm going to take a little trip and just walk through Scripture and give us an understanding from Scripture of what we are taught the Holy Spirit will do and how we receive Him and, 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 and what all those things are. And I'm not probably, gonna, I, not, not probably. I am not going to be uh, all-encompassing. I'm sure there'll be some things that I missed that you can point out to me afterwards, and you're totally welcome to do that. Some things that, uh, that, that kind of go along with what we're talking about. But I want to just sort of take a walk through Scripture and say, here's what God had in mind when he says what we just talked about. He sent John. John said, Jesus is going to come. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, though I do it with water. And then Jesus said the same thing. I'm leaving, and the Holy Spirit's going to come. And then we saw the result of that. I'm going to start way back in the book of Proverbs. I don't know if you, you know the Holy Spirit is talked about in Proverbs. You may think it's an Old Testament book that doesn't have anything to do with it. But Proverbs 1.23 says this. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Now pay attention to those words that are said there. If you turn at my reproof. What, what's a reproof? Someone, someone tell, what, what's a reproof? What's that? A correction. Somebody said something over here, I didn't quite catch it, but a, a reproof, that's a good word. It's a correction. So if you turn... In other words, if you change when you're corrected, when I correct you, God can say, if you change, if you turn, then what's the result? I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. That sounds a lot like Peter ending his sermon in the book of Acts and saying, when they say, what shall we do? And he says what? Repent 
and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll get forgiveness of your sins. I kind of got those backwards, didn't quite quote it word for word. That sounds a lot like John when he's out there baptizing, and it's called the baptism of confession, but Jonas, you should know this this morning. You're going to come up here, and you're, going to, you're, the, you're the man on the spot, but the rest of us is true too. If you want to receive water baptism, which signifies the reception of Holy Spirit baptism, there has to be a confession and a repentance, a turning away, a, a, a changing when there's reproof, when there's rebuke. I don't know how much of what you're going to talk about, Jonas, but I'm sure there's one, at least part of the reason why you're here this morning is an understanding that the road and the path that I was on was not correct and had to be changed. And I want to tell you just from this verse in Proverbs that God tells you from his word that if you will turn direction and change and repent, then I will pour my spirit out on you and I will make my words known to you. That's a promise you can take home. By the way, when uh, the Old Testament prophets were beginning to talk about what God wanted to do through the New Covenant, Ezekiel spends a lot of time with this. So I'm going to just read a couple of verses from Ezekiel chapter 36. This is him talking about the New Covenant, and I'm, not going to, I, I'm just going to read part of it. This is what God says he's going to do. And I remind you, I'm not going to read this verse, but I remind you, God says, I'm going to do it for the sake of my name, that I might be glorified. It's not because of what you have done or not have done, but I'm going to do it for the sake of my name. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, from the get-go, we've seen two verses. Both of them indicate that there's necessity for some confession and repentance to receive the Holy Spirit. And both of them indicate that a part of the idea behind having the Holy Spirit is so that we can walk faithfully to God, that we can obey Him. We can do what He wants to. Because these verses especially make that clear. God says, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to get rid of the impurities in you. I'm going to help cleanse you from the idols. I'm going to help you walk faithfully. And I'm going to give you my spirit to do that. I'm going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to place my spirit in you. I'm going to pour out my spirit in you. Put my spirit in, within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So church, there's two things we know is very clear from scripture that God is interested in when he's talking about the Holy Spirit. You receive him when there's repentance, when there's a turning, a changing at God's reproof. And the point of the Holy Spirit, at least in part here, what we've revealed so far, is that he will help us to be obedient to what God says. That we have God inside of us so that we can walk faithfully. All those words we said are true, right? There's, there's authority, there's wisdom, there's boldness, there's joy, there's witness, all the commitment, there's all those words are true, but they're true because God is, in, is living inside of us. The Spirit is in us, and He's helping us to be faithful to Him. Think of those words and how they're true about Him, right? God is bold. God is up front with us. God has authority. God is wise. There is no wisdom you're going to find anywhere short of outside of God. God is committed. He doesn't change. God is love and joy. And actually, if you think about it that way, God will always do things to point to himself, right? God is revealing himself to us. That's what this is, is God revealing himself to us. That's what it is. Let's keep going. 
As Jesus himself taught on, on the Holy Spirit, this is in the book of John where we're going to get a lot of this from, but Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit. This is John 14, verse 26. He says, the helper, that's what he calls the Holy Spirit. Mark that, please, because the Holy Spirit is there to help you. He's not, uh, he's not your opponent. He's not your, uh, he's not your untrustworthy or harsh you know, dictator. He is your helper. The Holy Spirit is your helper, and when he comes, the, Holy, the Father will send him in Jesus' name. He will teach you, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So we understand the Holy Spirit is there to instruct us, to guide us, to remind us. Do you know how many times, do you know how many times I need to be reminded of things that I know See, reminder is the idea that I knew something, but I need to be, I forgot it, or I just wasn't living it out. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as a person who's grown up in church, as a person who's had parents who cared about me and we read the Bible as a kid, as a person who got baptized as a teenager, as a person who has been in the church since then, as a pastor, you know, I, I, I want to get this right, because I, I, I don't want to be incorrect about it. I know a lot of things about God. I know a lot of things what it looks like to follow God. So when I don't do it, what's the problem? I need to be reminded often, this is what God has said. This is what God wants from you. This is what it means to be humble. This is what it means to yield. This is what it means for this. This is what it means to be pure. This is what it means to be devoted to me. To whatever it is. I need to be reminded, and quite frankly, many of us in this room this morning know a lot about those things too, which means it's not that, you know, the Holy Spirit does do this, some of this work, but it's not that he comes to give you a new revelation most times. Most times the Holy Spirit, can I tell you this, comes to you to remind you of things that God has said, of what Jesus has told us, of what Scripture is saying. Now, Jesus talked a little bit more about this. I want to, I want to just uh, read, because I want to read a little bit longer section here. John chapter 16, he again returns to the subject of the Holy Spirit. He returns to the subject of him leaving and departing from them, but that, that's good for them. Let's just read the verses. John chapter 16, verse 5. He says, but now I am going, Jesus talking, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, and the helper's capitalized, it's the Holy Spirit, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because they go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Let me just stop for a little bit there. So there is an aspect of the Holy Spirit that makes those people who are in sin aware of their sinfulness, concerning sin because they do not believe in Jesus. There's a great aspect, the middle one there, concerning righteousness because they go to the Father and you will see me no longer. I believe that's him saying the Holy Spirit is there to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. We don't see Jesus anymore, do we? He's not visible in front of us. He's at the Father. But we need to be reminded of what he has done. He has made us right before him and how to be righteous. And concerning judgment because the Holy Spirit reminds us that the ruler of this world is judged, that the end is secure. Victory has been won, and when it all is all said and done, God will 
be victorious over Satan. For those moments when we are in doubt, when we are struggling, when we're not sure, when things appear like it may not be all working out like we think it should. Those are the things, there's three things, and we don't have time for this, but there's three things that the Holy Spirit, uh, that Jesus is very clear, the helper will come and he will do these things. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin, the knowledge of when we reject Jesus and we're not right, he will let us, make us aware of that if we will listen. Righteousness, reminder that Jesus has done what God said he came to do, that we are right before God when we're in Christ. That when Jesus, though we cannot see him, that we will someday be with him again. And concerning judgment, the reality or the, the, the finality of that judgment. The reminder that we want to be on the right side of things when it all comes down. Verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. There's that word authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, let me just be very blunt and straightforward with you. Unfortunately, many times in today's church world, when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit and what that looks like, it ends up being a discussion or a proclamation of all the great, wonderful things you can do because God is in you, and all the powerful, miraculous things that come out of that. And I don't want to discount the power and authority of God. I believe he's very powerful. He has ultimate authority and does do all of those things still today. However, when I read Scripture and it tells us about the Holy Spirit and how we receive him and what he is to do in us, I read much less about how great that's going to make you look and much more about how he convicts you when you are not right. How he teaches you to walk faithfully to Jesus. I will tell you, some of those powerful things happen, and they do happen out of men of God, women of God who are committed and have walked a road of repentance and humility and are entirely submitted to God. No question. It's just we can't get there without this. Which is why the Holy Spirit, why the Bible, I believe, talks about the Holy Spirit much more in context of what he does in us, keeping us right with God, reminding us when we're starting to stray off the path and helping us to come back. It's almost as if God is trying to tell us, don't worry about the outcome there so much as worry about being in Christ and knowing and being submitted to him and walking, being filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can walk as right as possible and he'll take care of all of any outcomes that need to happen. When I say it's almost like that, I'm telling you it is actually like that. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said this. Don't you know, well, this is my question at the beginning, but for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. It's, he's, he's asking the question before that. Don't you know that when you were baptized in Christ, like what it means? If you were baptized into Christ, that you have put on Christ. Jonas, the water I'm going to pour on you today, I'm going to pour water because I baptize with water. But Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, and this is the crux of what we're getting to. If you were baptized into Christ, you are putting on Christ. We talk about this word, actually, not in this verse, but from Romans 13, 14, that you put on Jesus. Just like that word is the, the same word they would have used to shrug on a coat. 
or a jacket. Actually, it was their kite and their long robe that they put on over their clothes. But to put on Jesus. And so you have to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself, and all of us have to ask ourselves, if that's true, what does it look like to put on Jesus? What does it mean to put on Jesus? Because that's what I'm saying I'm doing. When I'm, when I'm being poured on, and I'm saying I want the Holy Spirit poured on me, it means I am putting on Jesus. Well, again, Paul, when he's, this time when he's speaking to the Romans, uh, he writes his letter to the Romans, uh, he actually answers a bit of that. And I want to read those verses to you. Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That second part I just read is a verse you're going to hear in a little bit when we do the baptism. But I'm going to read the first part because I want us to understand that when we have put on Christ, when we are baptized in Jesus, this is what we're talking about. We are saying baptizing Jesus means we're baptized into his death. We're participating. We're whelmed. We are dipped. We are tainted. We are stained. We are putting on the death of Jesus. So that somehow, having been buried with Jesus, believing the gospel for all it says it is, is that when we are buried with Jesus, just like Jesus was brought out of that tomb, we will also be raised to walk in a newness of life, to the glory of God the Father. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, walking in a different way than what we have walked before. I could have maybe gone to these verses from the very beginning because they would have summarized Perhaps my entire message, so I'll use them at the end as a summary. In the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3. I love the book of Titus. It's such a short book, but it is so powerful and it's so full of gospel, so full of just powerful truth about what Jesus did and who he is and what the Holy Spirit does. I want to read Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7 for you today, Jonas, and for us today, church. For we ourselves were once foolish... You know, to be honest about this, if you want to be real honest about this, you have to internalize and believe and receive and accept these verses as they are written. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. <laughs> Can we say hallelujah to that? That is an amazing concise statement that is exactly the rationale for why we get baptized with water. To point to something else that's happened is that I recognize I at one point in my life was all of these things, disobedient, foolish, led astray, a slave to my passions, and I was just doing whatever I wanted to, passing my days, not getting along with people, doing my own thing, looking out for number one, all of those things. But when God's goodness appeared to me, when this loving kindness was made known to me, I realized that he saved me through Jesus Christ. Not because of a single thing I had done, no righteous work of my own, but by his mercy. And this is what he did. He washed me. 
He regenerated me. He brought me back to life. He changed the outcome of my life. He changed my life and changed the outcome of my life. He renewed me through the Holy Spirit whom he poured out. There's that word baptizo. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. May it be so. May it be true for you today, Jonas. May it be true for every one of us who have received the baptism of water. And may it be true for every one of us someday that we will receive not the water that's poured or that we go under, however you chose to do that, but the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells inside of us, reminding us, teaching us, training us, helping us to live with boldness and wisdom and authority and commitment and joy and more than anything, as a witness to who Jesus is, a testimony to who he is. John said these words, and I say them to you, Jonas, today. I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that is my prayer for you today, for what happens.